Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 39 with our guest, Mark Henson. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us and tuning in. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned directly into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. I got to tell you right now, I am already in love with this episode. Here's why. As you know, I spent decades living in a state of fear and anxiety, and the most difficult part of all that was knowing full well that under all that nonsense, I had some good untapped potential. I was just scared out of my mind to use it, to tap into it, and to put it out into the world, so I ignored it. I pretended it didn't exist, and that's not good for anyone. My guest today is the author of the amazing book, Ordinary Superpowers. Listen to those two words, Ordinary Superpowers. I love that juxtaposition there. Unleash the full potential of your most natural talents is the subtitle. By the way, yes, available on Amazon, and yes, a 100% five-star count of 47. I said 47 reviews on Amazon. Stellar. Amazing. The book explores how it all starts when you unleash the potential of your ordinary superpowers, which are the talents and skills that create the most positive difference in your life, the lives of others, and the world around you. My guest is the founder of SparkSpace, which is an award-winning business retreat center in Columbus, Ohio. He also writes books, speaks at conferences, and leads one-of-a-kind personal development retreats. This is my kind of show, my kind of man, and my kind of world. Let's meet this fascinating, ordinary superhero himself. Welcome to the show, Mark Henson. How's it going, Mark? Good. I feel like there should be like this huge round of applause based on that that amazing intro you just gave. Like there should be a you know, crowd roaring and well, we'll put it into post. But thank you for <laughs> for saying it. I really appreciate it. I and I'm not joking. I really appreciate what you do and it just everything you do resonates so so strongly. That's why I'm really looking forward to this dialogue. So, I mentioned that I've spent so much of my life 
just, you know, living in this state of, of fear and anxiety that colored everything. And the most frustrating part of that was that I knew every minute that, oh, there's so much more. Why? Why isn't it working? Why aren't people responding? Do you find that that's usually the case, that people know their untapped talents? There's just a bunch of fear? It's a, it's a mix, I'd say. Yes, uh, yes and is probably the answer to that question. Um, and I've experienced it myself. Uh, I, I'm, I am no stranger to fear and anxiety. Um, I'm an entrepreneur first, and uh, that, you know, <laughs> that just goes with the territory is what I seem to find with me and all my entrepreneur friends that I have. Uh, but when it comes to that discovering your powers, um, in fact, I was just writing a follow-up to the participants in my most recent retreat today because one of them reached out to me and said, I, I'm really struggling trying to discover what my powers are, even though I've been through this whole retreat where we were supposed to find out what our powers were, I just, I still don't know. And as she sort of explained it, she actually said, I asked, I asked my husband what he thought my powers were. And then he told me, and I thought, oh my gosh, what you're telling me as a superpower, I actually think is a weakness. And hers in that case were like, she thought it was a weakness because uh, her powers were um, being able to sort of fit into lots of different situations, uh, liking to do a lot of different things and having a lot of variety. And she interpreted that as, I can't make decisions. I don't know how to focus. And she just had turned it into something bad when it's actually what she's really, really good at doing. It just, it, it's pervasive in her life. So it probably does cause a few issues and challenges along the way but she's latched onto those things and it's created this fear and anxiety in her. And when she wrote that down in the workshop, that that was, those were her powers. It freaked her out a little bit because she's like, she didn't necessarily want those to be her powers. And that's why I call them ordinary superpowers because those things for us that are super, that help us really contribute to the world around us. They're not, they're usually not very sexy or appealing to us. We always think everybody else has these amazing powers, but ours are really boring. And, you know, even my own, I've, I've been through that same thing. So getting to that point where you not only recognize and discover what your powers are, but you accept what those powers are, which it sounds like part of what you went through where you kind of knew what some of these things were, but you weren't getting the results you wanted or you weren't, you didn't want to just completely step in and own those powers uh, not knowing what that meant in the long term. It's like, I, I get it. I get it. It happens to a lot of people. I think in, in my specific situation, uh, some time ago, uh, I was gifted the book, The Big Leap by yeah. Gay Hendricks. And that just opened my world. And similarly, the way he puts it is discovering your zone of genius. And he takes you through the steps to like exactly what you're saying. Um, more often than not, you arrive at it and you say, oh, that's special. I thought that that was just normal. Or in the case of your example, the opposite and saying, oh, that's a negative. But no, more often than not, you, you discover what you're already doing, what others look at in admiration, and that is a magnificent contribution to the world. And it's just, you know, it's so weird because it's so wired into us, these superpowers, 
that's just how we operate. It's how we roll. It's just, it, and that's why they seem so normal to us. But it's also why it's hard to really nail down what those are because, you know, to you, that's, you think everybody has those powers and they really don't. Uh, when you really start to recognize your own strengths and your own superpowers and you start to accept that, one of the things I have people do is I have them walk through this sort of simple four-part test uh, that helps determine whether something's just a strength or whether it's a superpower. And one of the parts of that test is do you have an elevated level of that ability or talent or skill among the people that you know? You don't have to be the best in the world at it. You just have to be better with that thing, whatever it is, than most of the people in your circle. And it's a superpower to them and to you and to everybody else. So, uh, but it's a hard thing to recognize in ourselves. That's why I do this work now is, is it was such eye opening for me. And I went through the same thing with the Gay Hendricks work on the big leap, you know, kind of hitting that upper limit problem. Why can't I figure this stuff out? Um, And, you know, and, and realizing that, I just wasn't allowing myself to step into my zone of genius or really accept what my superpowers are. But you know what? It's funny that if you watch any superhero movie, every superhero goes through the same thing. As part of their origin story, they discover that there's something unique or different about them and they don't want to accept it because it makes them different. And they realize if I own this power, then I got to do something with it. Either that or I have to hide it the rest of my life from the world. So they have to step out in courage and say, I'm going to take this, this leap. I'm going to own this power. I'm going to start using this power. And, you know, the difference between a superhero and a supervillain is the superheroes say, I'm going to use this power for good. Mm, so much fascination there. And I know that one of your, one of your speeches, one of your talks is all around that hiding of the superpower you mentioned, um, all about masking yourself. And quite frankly, that was the very basis for my brand today, the hidden entrepreneur, because I found myself in that situation for decades. I put on a mask in every single situation, whether it was personal, social, or business. I showed up hiding every aspect of myself, trying to blend in, trying to uh, appeal to others in a way that I thought that they wanted or expected. And you know the outcome. It's disastrous and it's exhausting. Yeah. The funny part about uh, the, the mask thing is that superheroes are always wearing a mask when they're actually being their most authentic selves. And I think in real life, it's just the opposite. We have to learn how to take those masks off so that we show the world who we really are, what we can really do, what our talents and abilities and powers are. But again, it's what makes you stand out. And we've been taught from a very early age, don't stand out, conform, you know, go with the flow, be, you know, don't rock the boat. If you use your powers, you're going to rock the boat. You know, the the people who are considered the most disruptive in any industry uh, from the smallest to the largest are are the people who rock the boat. They're the people who step out and say, I can't not use my powers. I have to do this um, or I will just like go crazy and die. Um, And I think, you know, there's a certain point. That's why a lot of people finally launch off and start their businesses or they, um, I, I wish it wouldn't take until midlife for people to have that aha moment that I can't do this anymore. I need to be me. You know, I can't be what the world wants me to be or what I thought I wanted to be when I was younger, 
just because I stepped onto some path, I have to stay on that path? I don't think so. Um, uh, again, I, I, I discovered a lot about myself kind of before midlife, but even hitting midlife, it's like you start going through it all over again. And I think what I've discovered the most over time is that it's not one mask you take off. It's, it's a continual process of, you know, putting on masks and taking them off, putting on masks, taking them off as you learn more and more about yourself. Hopefully someday you get to live almost completely mask free. And that would be the idea. Mm, that would be something. And what's that phrase that if you're not pissing off enough people, you're not doing it right? Yeah. I think, you know, anytime you're, you're true and authentic to yourself, you're going to polarize people because as much as we'd all love to be loved by everybody on the planet, um, that's just not the case. I mean, everybody's got their own perspective and viewpoint and background and experience and you know, yours is yours. So you're probably going to rub some people the wrong way if you're being truly yourself. And I think, you know, once you sort of accept that, um, you know, then I think things get a little easier for you. It's not that you stop caring. You don't have to have that screw you kind of attitude. Um, but I think when you become aware and you're okay with that, then it slides off your back a lot easier. Yeah. And I think that if you're really pissing people off, um, some of those, if not most or all, you're really going to discover that you're tapping into a nerve because you're shining a light on some deficiency within them. Absolutely. You know, they either want to be where you are in some way, whether even just shining their light, whatever their light is, and they know they're not doing it, um, or they just, they're just completely opposite of who you are and what you are, and they're going to be against anything you stand for. But I, I'm with you. Like, I think when you shine your light, when you take off that mask, when you are your 100% authentic self, which is what my work is all about, is just be 100% you. Um, when you do that, I think you do two things. You turn that light on and it shines on everybody around you. So the people that are ready to shine their own light, it inspires and motivates them. Um, the people who aren't ready or who know somehow or don't know they're on the wrong path, it starts, it's an energy thing. Like you're vibrating at a different energy than they are and that rubs them the wrong way. And so it causes that friction. The people that it does resonate with, you're, you're on that same sort of energy wavelength as they are uh, because they're ready and they're, or, or they're on that same path and they're, they want to shine their light and they're doing it too. And as you move on, like those are the people that become your super friends, right? Those are the people that you want to partner up with and team up with the people that, that are inspired right along with you. And you, you know, it becomes this sort of like upward spiral when you connect with those kind of people, you really lift each other up. So I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in stay away from the people that, that bring down your energy and, and surround yourself with people that help lift up your energy. And I don't think we do that enough. And I have a completely agree, by the way, I have a, I, I have a video I just recorded that the whole theme and it starts out with me saying, I do not care what you think. And of course, that's not rude or callous or inconsiderate. It simply means I've stopped living a life where I'm concerned about the judgment that others will cast upon me. Because that, among other things, was the biggest problem. Me caring so much what others think 
that I don't do anything or I tiptoe around things and then wonder why it's not working. Absolutely. And that's why we get on the wrong path in life because we're trying to conform to some idea that may or may not be true to us. And if it's not true to us and we stay on that path long enough, we get really, really unhappy. We get really unfulfilled. And then you wake up at, you know, 55, 60 years old and you just want to quit your job and go work at the hardware store, right? Because you're just like, I just can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't wear this mask. You know, the funny part is that I heard this other phrase recently, since we're talking about taking off the mask. Um, superheroes, they, you know, they're always wearing a mask and, and um, my work is about taking off the mask. But I also heard this other phrase that said superheroes never wear subtle costumes. And part of that is I don't care what other people think. I'm going to wear the costume that fits me um, and who I am as a superhero. Um, you won't find me in tights or spandex by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I loved that phrase. I'm like, yeah, when you let your light shine, you know, as a, my, my friend Whitney says, she always says, uh, let your freak flag fly, you know. Um, it's, it's who you really are. And, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with letting people see that. Yeah, one of my mentors always embraces the fact that he's, he's weird, and I relate to that. I've been called that many times in my life, and that used to be an insult, you know, until you realize, hey, I'm just doing my thing. I feel very comfortable and confident with my thing. Yeah. Uh, Jason Tharp is a friend of mine. He's a children's book author and illustrator, and he, uh, part of, <laughs> he has this whole very fun way of going about uh, sharing his message of positivity and wonder and getting out there and exploring and doing your thing. And he, he basically says, be your own weird. You know, that's it. That's, that's your job in life is to be your own weird. I love that. Let's go back to the beginning. Help us connect all these dots. Let's go all the way back to young Mark Henson. What was it like growing up as a child in your family? Uh, I was, uh, I was adopted, um, very early on five months old. So I don't remember, I wasn't bouncing around the foster care system or anything. Um, so I was adopted. My brother was adopted from a different family. So I grew up, I was sort of always knowing I was adopted. That probably in some ways led me to be kind of a lone wolf. Um, I've always been a little bit of a lone wolf, but always very able to adapt to any situation and any kind of group of people. Um, so I was very well accepted in school. I actually became class president and all kinds of stuff. I, I everybody was my friend, um, still is to this day. Not, not everybody likes me, but I, I'm able to make friends with just about everybody. Um, in my, in my school, like I was friends with the, the jocks and the burnouts and the band kids and every, I was involved in everything. Um, and I grew up out in the country, which is another way to ensure your kids end up being a lone wolf um, because it was me and the dog and that was it. My brother was a couple years older and he was off doing his thing. And so well, I would just run around building forts and tree houses and playing with my dog and, you know, had very few friends around day to day in, day out. Um, so I had to use my imagination a lot. Um, and now my, my title that I gave myself when I started my business is chief imagination officer. Um, and it all started way back then when I had to literally invent my world every day uh, because of where I lived and, uh, and being kind of isolated. Um, but it really helped shape kind of my entire life and everything I've been able to do. And it's given me, you know, the idea that anything is possible. 
So I can create, I've always felt like I can create whatever I want. I can create whatever kind of life I want. And thank God I was born in America where that's possible for so many of us, not everybody. A lot of people are born into situations even in America where it's a lot tougher for them. But in my little town of Chelsea, Michigan, just outside of Ann Arbor, you know, it was, anything was possible. And I feel very fortunate that I, you know, I always tell my wife, like, we won the lottery. You know, we were, we were born in America. We were both born in cities where, where things were possible into families that, that gave us opportunity and nothing was out of our reach. It's like, God, how much more of a lottery winner could you be? It's like a real life Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah, my, my hometown, very Norman Rockwell. I mean, you should see it. It's, it's, it's picturesque. It's got a beautiful little main street. It's, uh, it was a farm town when I grew up, and now it's this like, you know, really cool, hip place to live. Uh, but when I grew up, it was me and all my farmer friends. So it sounds like growing up, you, you were raised in a loving, nurturing environment, supportive. Absolutely. I mean, my parents, I wouldn't say are the most affectionate people, but the most loving people you've ever met the most giving and generous people I, I've, I've known to this day. Um, and they just, you know, they're the kind of people, they just always do the right thing. So I just had those lessons from early on of be generous, do the right thing. You know, um, my dad was a school teacher because that was in his superpower. Um, he, my dad's superpower is always seeing the best in other people and wanting to bring out the best in other people. So being a teacher fit him so well. And he related to, to kids, particularly like middle school and high school kids um, in, in a way that, you know, he was that teacher that like connected with the kids. And we all had one or two of those growing up and the rest of them were just our teachers. And my dad was one of those guys that just like to this day, if people see him on the street, they're like, Mr. Henson, I had you for driver ed or whatever, you know, um, because he was awesome. And he still is awesome. He's 81, 82 years old. He's still, you know, making friends in the retirement village now it's absolutely amazing so in in your high school years were you were you looking to be a teacher no no never actually teacher never entered my mind which is weird because I spend a lot of time teaching now um but uh I thought I was I didn't know exactly what I was going to do um well I take that back I was going to be a radio DJ is what I was going to be um and so from middle school uh, on we had a we had a, a dance in middle school which was right after school so it was in the daylight it was really bizarre we had these after school dances like at four o'clock in the afternoon in middle school but these DJs from a local radio station uh, came out and DJed one of our dances and I thought they were the coolest people in the world everybody adored them it was like I want to do that for a living um, and so I pursued it from that moment on uh, I started wanting to be a DJ I did a, I took radio classes in high school. I did an independent study in radio broadcasting in high school. I went to college for uh, mass communications with a, a focus on radio and TV broadcasting. And uh, that's what I thought I was gonna do with my life. Um, and uh, I didn't exactly know how that it was all gonna pan out. Um, I was also an athlete all through school, so I played basketball and did all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, somewhere along the way, I. I I did get into radio for a long time after college. I was in radio for almost 10 years as a disc jockey and a marketing director. And then I, I moved on to other things. So yeah, I think in, in high school, that was my direction. I was going to be, I, I was going to go to college. I was going to be a DJ. And then I didn't know what after that. 
And you said you were on the basketball team in high school. How did that pan out? <laughs> Good question. Um, I, I played basketball from the time I could dribble up until my junior year in high school. And I was always honestly one of the better players. I was always a starter. I started from, you know, seventh grade up and through, uh, through uh, junior varsity. And then when it came to try out for the varsity team, we had two days of tryouts. They announced the, uh, the cuts and I was cut and I was devastated. Um, long story short, I actually, I had a bad relationship with the previous varsity coach. Um, and we had a new varsity coach who didn't know me at all. And in two days of tryouts decided I wasn't going to be a part of the team. So somewhere in there, I feel like I got blackballed a little bit. Um, even my, my, my elementary school principal approached me and said, you got robbed, um, because you should be on the varsity team. But I was so devastated. I remember it was the most humiliating thing, like, you know, going to the locker room the morning that they, they were posted, seeing everybody coming back at, at me, like, you know, from the locker room, all excited, but looking at me kind of weird. And I got there and saw my name wasn't on the list. And I, 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 that was one of the hardest days of my life was getting through that school day because I had to just sort of pretend that it didn't really bother me all that much. And I was devastated because at that moment, besides being a DJ, eventually at that moment, I wanted nothing more than to be a varsity basketball player. And I thought it was in my cards. I thought it was a given. And so I was completely, the rug was completely pulled out from under me. And I was in a tailspin. I didn't even know what to do. And I got home that night and I climbed into bed and I was just like at an all time low. I'd had a pretty good life up to that point. And this just like, I mean, it hit me hard. And my dad came into the, my room, the light was off. He came in, he sat down on the edge of my bed. And he just said these words to me that I, I it, they don't sound all that profound, except in the moment they really were. He just looked at me, he said, so what do you want to do now? And I was just like, what? <laughs> I can do something else? Like I, that's, there's more to life than basketball? Like I was like, I don't know, but like in that moment, he shifted everything for me by, by saying, okay, so now you've got possibility, which is, you know, I kind of always believed that, but I got so side, you know, like blindsided by this uh, being cut off the basketball team that I just lost sight of all of that. Um, and my dad just brought me back to reality and he's like, Hey, not the end of the world. What do you want to do now? You've got, you can, you've got your choice now. Uh, maybe basketball is not the choice, but you've got lots of other choices. And I, I really, up until that moment, didn't feel like I had any other choices. So, so many amazing lessons in yeah. that with what your father said, including probably a light bulb for you, him through his words saying, it's not a failure. You didn't fail. Right. And, you know, I mean, and here I was thinking he was going to be disappointed because he played basketball and he ran track in college and, he did all this, you know, this, he's a great athlete. And uh, I mean, he never pressured me in that way, but like, I wanted to, I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted to do that. I wasn't playing basketball for him, but I knew that he enjoyed that part of my life. And so I thought this was going to be a big disappointment to him. And as it turned out, you know, um, you know, he was, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it's, it's one of the most memorable moments of my entire life was him just saying, so what do you want to do now? 
And, uh, you know, I try to remember that when anybody faces some sort of devastation or some sort of, you know, life altering, changing thing, whether that's a diagnosis of, of some kind or they get fired or they get divorced. Um, I try to keep that in mind of like, how do I help support them and, and just give them that encouragement that, all right, now you're free to decide on what you want to do next and where you want to go with this thing. And not everybody wants to hear it in that moment. I just happened to, it just happened to strike me at the right moment. I mean, he just had the best timing with it. Mm. And I heard um, one of your videos, you mentioned uh, something that I embrace very, very deliberately these days. And you, you said, you're not guaranteed one more minute in this life. And only until the somewhat recent past have I made a conscious effort to really acknowledge and embrace that, especially I have two young children these days. I have a five-year-old daughter, a three-year-old son. They are my world, my everything. And, you know, uh, I didn't start out well parenting them, I thought. I, I still had a lot of fear and anxiety when they came into this world. And one day I realized, okay, this all has to stop. And I started on my journey to remove all that negativity and that fear and just replace one by one. And today, something that I'm always conscious of in that vein is simply the fact that every moment I have with my children could be the last it absolutely could be the last, truth be known, right? So that actually realization, that helps me be present to be the best person and to just be in, in their world and say, if this were my last moment with them, I want to make it all it can be. That is such a good thing to do. And I applaud you for, for doing that and coming to that realization and wanting to be that kind of a person. And truthfully, a lot of dads are not like that. A lot of dads, especially entrepreneurs, people that are obsessed about building their, their business, um, they do lose sight of that. And, and I would say, you know, there have been times that I've, I've struggled with that as well. Um, but that idea of everything could be your last. So like, imagine if you knew when your last anything was, like how different your life would be, right? And we never know what our last anything is going to be for the most part. Um, you know, my wife and I talk about this a lot. Like, when did we stop carrying them in from the car? When did we uh, stop reading them stories? When did we, uh, you know, there are some, there are certain milestones. Like, I knew the moment my daughter got her driver's license that I was probably done carting her and her friends around, right? Like, I sort of saw that one coming. But a lot of them you don't see coming like that. When was the last time I read a story to my daughter, my daughters in their beds? Um, it, it just happens and it fades away and it blends in and you're like, crap, man, I missed the last one. What, when was the last one? I don't even know. So like keeping that in mind is super important. Like I'm a, I know mindfulness is a really big hot topic right now, but like, and I think there's a reason for it because we've failed as a society to, to remain mindful. Um, I have tried and tried and tried, and I work very hard to, to stay present with my kids, with my wife. In fact, even last night, my wife launched into a story after I got home and like I made some food because I had been working all day and I had an appointment last night, hadn't eaten. I made my food. I was going to go down. I was going to sit and watch Netflix for a while. And she started telling me a story about her day. And I was literally one foot out of the kitchen 
And I'm like, you know what? I had that sort of same moment. Like, what if this is the last time I talked to her kind of thing? Like, so I just stopped and I ate my sandwich and I listened to her story. And it's like, that moment felt like it lasted an eternity because I just pulled back and put all my attention on her. And uh, I mean, that's, it's an amazing thing. So, you know, good for you for, for making sure you're doing that with your kids when they're that age. One other thing I'll tell you about that though, is uh, here's my voice of experience, right? Um, my kids are 17 and 18 years old. Um, I feel like I'm the worst parent of a 17 and 18 year old there is. But I also felt I was the worst parent of a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old. Looking back, I'm like, that was a pretty freaking good parent, actually, for most of that time. Um, it's just like when you're in it, when, when you're doing everything for the first time, you feel like you're a failure at the whole thing. You feel like you're horrible. I've had, I had a Father's Day where I was in tears with my wife, I'm like, I am a terrible father. I'm, I'm the worst father there, there ever was. I am nowhere near what my father was. My wife's like, are you freaking nuts? Like, do you not know like that you do this and this and this and this and this? Do you not know that like I look around at other parents and other dads who are so disconnected and they never do any of the stuff that you do with your kids? And, you know, I have this hang up that I didn't play ball in the front yard enough with my kids when they were little kind of thing. And it's like, you know what, that, that doesn't matter. Like, you know, whatever those pictures of perfection you have as a, as a father going into it, none of that matters. What matters is, did you pay attention to your kids? Did you, were you present with your kids? It doesn't matter if you taught them how to throw a football or a baseball or a softball or hit a lacrosse ball or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just, are you present with them? Mm, I, am, I am literally choked up through that entire thing because it resonates. I get it. I'm there. And wow, I got the chills when you said that you don't know when the last time of anything is going to happen, which my five-year-old daughter, and this has been happening practically since she was in, in a bed out of her crib, I, I not only tuck her in every night, she, she, she requests, in quotes, requests, demands that I lay down with her in bed until she falls asleep. So that's yeah. a good, you know, half hour, 45 minutes in the evening. You know, um, in another lifetime, I could have kicked and screamed and said, oh, this is my time. I'm tired on this, on that. But you know what? For that exact reason, I enjoy it. I adore it. I look forward to it because as I've said to my wife over and over again with, with other things, including this, you know, one day in the blink of an eye, I'm not going to tuck her in and lay down until she falls asleep. And looking back on it, I'm going to be quite sad about that. So I'm going yeah. to embrace and just, yeah, all of it. There'll be a day when she says, no, I, no, daddy, I don't want it. Or, and you'd be like, okay, well, tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. You know, like that's what goes through your head. You're like, you don't, you don't realize that she might be literally cutting it off right now. Um, because you just always think there's going to be more you, as with everything in life, you know, um, until you get some crazy diagnosis of cancer or something. And you realize like every freaking day of your life is important. I, I, I also think it's important to take stock of wherever you are in your life and, and even calculate. Let's, let's say you live to be 80 years old. Well, how much time do you have left? count the days. I mean, it's really not that much, mm -mm. right? <laughs> like uh, part of the, the, when I give uh, talks to people, one of the ways I usually end up the talk is, you know, why is it important for you to discover your superpowers? Why is it important for you to, to really do what lights you up? Because you just don't have that much time to do it. 
but you got a ton of time at the same time. You will spend 100,000 hours of your life working. That's a lot of time that goes by really fast. Um, so you, and you get the choice, how you spend it, what you focus on. Um, and most people don't realize they have a choice. Just like, you know, most people, especially when they're immersed in building a business or whatever, they feel like that needs my attention right now because it's so important. And, uh, you know, you've made that conscious choice to say, you know what, my kids are really what's important and I'm going to focus there. And I'm not saying that, you know, everybody has to treat their family or their business in the same way. I mean, I think there probably are people that are probably better off building a business than trying to relate to their kids because they just don't know how. But that wasn't me and it doesn't sound like it's you either. It sounds like, you know, we, we have a similar uh, idea of, of that, that priority, I guess. Yeah, and you gave us a life expectancy to 80, which is probably, I think that that's actually what it is these days, but, but hearing it like that is just crazy. I always, um, um, in um, one of my talks, I say, even if we're given a full life, you know, let's just go fully ahead, 100. Even if, we, even if we're able to live to 100, that is over in the blink of an eye. And that's as full of a life as it can get. It's yeah. done before yeah. you know what's happened. Uh, my mom used to always say like how fast life goes. And when I was younger, I was like, yeah, mom, whatever. And now like my mom is super wise to all of a sudden, like as I'm 50, almost 52 years old, as we record this, it's like, yeah, it does. It goes by faster and faster. But here's the, here's the trick. If you want to slow life down, then just become more present because life only goes faster and faster because you get more and more going on. Um, and you get busier and busier and you pile up more and more stuff and you're always trying to get out from underneath it. So you're just busy all the time and you miss it. You miss most of life um, by doing that, by staying distracted with work and with social media and all kinds of other stuff. Now, Netflix, <laughs> you know, you can spend a lot of your life watching Netflix. Um, but if you want to slow life down then work on becoming more and more present with your current situation, the people around you, like you said, with your daughter laying in bed for 30, 45 minutes, if you're really present to that, that feels like forever. It almost, almost feels like enough. You know, mm. when you're really present, you're like, cause it fills you up and you're like, Oh yeah, I really got a chance to experience that. It wasn't just my body laying there, but my whole being, my mind, my soul, everything was right there with it. True, true. And that also allows you to put every single thing in and around your life and your experience that comes in into perspective. Then miraculously, the things that you thought were important aren't, don't really matter. Okay, so I didn't get that picture or that thing didn't happen or this didn't go the way. It doesn't matter. I, you know, um, I just... I'm reading a book right now. I'm almost finished with it. It's, it's uh, uh, by a guy named Jaron something. Um, I can't remember the name, but it's my, my, one of my daughters told me about it. It's 10 arguments why you should delete your social media accounts right now or something like that. And it's all about that. Like it is stealing your life. It's stealing your life. It's making you into a person you don't really want to be. It's forcing you into comparing yourself to a lot of other people and it's doing very little good in the world or especially in your life. And I'm like, he's so right. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's robbing me of being present a lot. It's robbing me of, of just being joyful and, and fulfilled in what I'm doing and, and doing what lights me up. And 
I don't know. So I'm like actually considering deleting all my social media accounts. I haven't had the nerve to do it yet, but for that reason, because I want to live this life. I want to be present. I don't want to be pretending and, and watching everyone else pretend and being distracted by all that. You have an incredibly brilliant um, uh, uh, dialogue on the fact that nobody will remember you when you're long gone, but then you say that's a great thing. I love that, that concept. Talk to me about that. Nobody's going to remember me, but that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, because I think it, it makes you realize that no matter, aside from a few people like Abraham Lincoln and you know, George Washington and those kind of people, I mean, the vast majority of people that, that live, you know, they live, they die. And as soon as everybody that knew them uh, dies off, then your name is never spoken again. You're, you're not remembered by anybody unless you've done something extraordinary and famous, right? So to me, that says, what are you doing right now? Like, like how are you like living this moment right now? Um, not worrying about whether you're leaving some big long legacy or not because the vast majority of us are not going to. So like, how are you going to impact the world around you right now? It's not to say that there's not, you know, like I'm not making a statement about life after death or any of that kind of stuff. It's like, but really all we know for sure is that we're given this moment, this life. Um, so what are you going to do with it? Are you going to like, are you going to piss it away with uh, distraction and, and, and maybe worse, like, are you going to, are you going to spend your life on the wrong path? Um, thinking, you know, you're going to achieve something by that, or are you going to do what really lights you up? Are you going to do the things that, that make your light shine so that other people around you can see it? One uh, of the reasons I love that statement so much is uh, nobody's going to remember you. And, oh, by the way, that's a fantastic thing, is also because I, I, I've heard it said in so many different ways that really when it all comes down to it, we are all insignificant. And on paper, or at first, you might think, whoa, 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 I am not. But really, that becomes freeing. Yeah, I mean, right now, you're one of 7 billion people on the planet, right? So that alone is not to, like, make you depressed or anything, but it's like, you know, you're, you're pretty tiny compared to the yeah. whole population. Like, here I am uh, in front of a microphone. It's like BFD. I mean, like, really, who cares? Right. Right. I'm, having, I'm having the time of my life here and now, and hopefully I'll have many more of these opportunities in different scenarios, but it's like this very moment, insignificant, but that's okay. That's what life is. It's this. Right. And, and part of that is that no one's really paying that close attention to you. You know, I know as a podcaster, you don't want to believe that, right? But, it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's like, I mean, so. True. You know, Dave Ramsey, the financial guy, you know, he talks about like, you know, we, we, we go into debt uh, to buy things that to impress people that we don't even know, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. Like we spend all this time and energy, like doing things that we're, we're hoping will impress somebody um, instead of doing things for the love of the craft. And it, that, that idea of like, nobody will remember you actually came up out of a, uh, a trip to Italy that my wife and I took. And we're cruising around on the double-decker bus through Rome, and I'm looking at all of these sculptures, like weird little sculptures in the sides of buildings that are like three stories up that no one will ever really notice or see. But some craftsmen hundreds of years ago 
some of them up to like a thousand years ago, 900 years ago, sculpted these angels or gargoyles or whatever they were sculpting and put some sort of love into that craft that made that thing what it is, um, knowing that, first of all, that's going to be one of a gazillion sculptures in Rome and, and then all of Italy and all of the world combined. But also, like, it's going to be stuck up on the third floor of this building and no one's ever going to see it. Like, why would you even do it, right? Like, it's, it is completely insignificant to the rest of the world. And, and they had no idea how long that was going to last. But that was not their intent, is that that sculpture is going to stay on that building for the next thousand years. Um, all they intended was, I want, to, I want to make this sculpture as beautiful as I can make it, period. And to me, that's kind of what life is about. It's like, what can you make as beautiful as you can make it? regardless of what anyone else can do, regardless of how long it's going to last. Because if you just look at those facts, it's not going to last. It's probably, whatever you do is probably not going to outlive you by much. Now, ripple effects of what you do and how you treat people and, and the impact, absolutely. That's going to last forever and ever, amen. But with very little like physical proof and very few strings to tie all the way back to you. So uh, if you're trying to be, you know, significant and important that way, you know, very few people are ever going to achieve that. And one of the best phrases I've heard in that vein is, you know, who remembers what you said yesterday? You. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I said, very few people are paying that much attention to you. I used to do these team building exercises and uh, we do these, uh, an improv exercise to help people warm up where I have everybody like, uh, bark like a dog, uh, or make a just make a noise, any noise you want to. And everybody, we stand in a circle, and you go around the circle, and everybody has to make a noise. Um, and everybody's freaked out and worried. And what they're worried about is: is it going to be good enough? Is it going to be funny? Is anybody? What are other people going to think? So as you're standing around this circle, and everybody's freaking out about, about making their noise or their bark or their meow or whatever it is we're asking them to do, um, they're freaking out about that. And after we get done with the, the exercise, I always ask them, like, all right, what were you thinking? They're like, oh, I was like freaked out because I couldn't, I was trying to think of something good to do. And uh, I said, well, okay, so wh why? And they're like, well, you know, like, I just didn't, I didn't want to look stupid or whatever. I'm like, all right, so if you were thinking that, who else was thinking that? Everybody around the circle raises their hand, right? And then you say, okay, so if everyone's thinking that, who was thinking about you? Nobody. Not a single person in the circle was thinking about you. You were so worried about yourself and how you were appearing to other people, and they don't care because they're all just worried about themselves. Um, and that's a very freeing thing, too, when you're like, all right, you know what? Actually, nobody's paying all that much attention to me then why not do what I want to do? Why not be who I want to be? Why not take off my mask and, and you know, live, live my life? Why not put on my super, uh, uh, my super flamboyant super suit, you know, <laughs> if that's what makes me happy. And you know what? That does one thing and one thing only. That gives everybody else the permission to do the same. They then look at you and say, oh my goodness, I want to do that. Thank you. And you inspire them to do good. As long as they don't have victim mentality. If they have victim mentality, they're like, why does he get to do that and I don't? Why are you letting him do that? And reality is nobody's letting you do anything. You're just doing it. When we first um, 
joined up here before we went on the air, you made a, um, a, a very interesting comment I want you to uh, reiterate here. You said, it's always nice to meet a fellow traveler. And I said, tell me about that. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, I, I'm on a journey. Um, you know, like I'm on a journey of self-discovery. Um, I, I, I feel like that's what my life is supposed to be about from now on. And it probably always was. I just wasn't paying that close of attention because my ego was driving the, the show early on and I was trying to build something. And now that I've kind of discovered that really what life is about is trying to figure out and find your authentic self. Um, when I run across other people like that, I'm like, I, it's nice to meet people who are all also conscious and aware of that journey. Um, that's what I mean by like, it's nice to meet a fellow traveler uh, because uh, you might, your destination might be different than mine. Like I, every, and everybody has their own path, their own destination, but that doesn't mean we're not, we can't travel together. You know, it doesn't mean we can't support each other and encourage each other and, and lift each other up. So that's what I meant by that. So much good there. Looking back on your younger self, what advice would you give that person? Don't be afraid to look stupid. Um, that's definitely one. Um, another one would be, uh, uh, you know, really be the same message that I, that I preach now. Uh, I would preach that to my younger self. And that, that's the essence of the book that I wrote um, that is, you know, spend your time being 100% you. Like that's your job. Figure out how to be 100% you. Um, on top of that, figure out how to like who that is because you can discover who you really are and then maybe not like that person or accept that person. And you need to learn how to accept your whole person, the good, the bad, the ugly, the great, everything. Um, sometimes people have a hard time accepting the great part as well as the, as the bad part. So be hundred percent you love who that is and then make a difference with that person. Don't make a difference with the person you thought you wanted to be or that everybody was expecting you to be. Make a difference as the real you. Spend your time doing that. And then the last thing I would tell myself is, you know, uh, kiss her, dummy. Kiss her. Just don't, just have the, have the guts to kiss her. I would have kissed my wife a lot sooner if I if I'd given myself that advice. <laughs> Way back when. So good. <laughs> What mantra do you live by today? Mm. Wow. Uh, boy, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a tough question. It, aside from the stuff that I, you know, I, I do try to practice what I preach. Um, I think I constantly remind myself that, you know, to not be afraid to look stupid um, because you rarely, rarely ever look stupid. Um, especially when you're just being you and you're doing your thing, and you're taking your own risk, uh, you rarely look stupid to other people. You might feel like you didn't hit the mark or whatever with what you set out to do, but it's, it's not, hardly ever about looking stupid in the end. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? <sighs> mm, yes and no. I think, uh, I think you can find a reason. You can find meaning in just about everything. You can learn a lesson from just about everything. Whether or not that means that it was it happened for a reason, uh, I don't know. I mean, I have I have beliefs like I I'm a you know I I'm a Christian, so I have that kind of belief system, and I believe that God has a plan for everybody, uh, including me. But I believe I have a lot of free will and choice in that, and and so every choice I make has consequence, um, and it 
you know, it shapes my path for sure. Um, I do think that the, the tough stuff in life, um, if it doesn't happen for a reason, uh, it certainly, you can, it certainly happens for you to learn something from if nothing else. Um, even if that means that you just learn how tough you really are. Um, I went through something about a year ago that, uh, I thought was going to kill me, honestly, not, not a physical disease, but a, an emotional, you know, uh, situation in my life. And, you know, the thing that I learned out of that is it didn't kill me and it won't kill me. And if I ever go through it again, it won't kill me that time either. And, uh, you know, but there was a moment where I'm like, I'm not sure my life is going to be able to go on if this, if this situation doesn't resolve and it never resolved to my satisfaction and, and I still survived. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think there's always a lesson to be learned. I'll put it that way. Can you give us the nature of that situation? Uh, it was a relationship um, that um, went very south, very fast, very unexpectedly. Um, and uh, somebody very, very close to me. And it was devastating. Um, and yeah, and it was really, I honestly, <laughs> I thought my life was com- going to be completely different um, and change. Uh, and it did change overnight. Um, and most of it changed for the better in the long term. Um, but in the moment it was painful, super painful, like the most painful thing I've ever been through. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, just getting through those times where things are tough. Um, you know, way back when we hit the recession, I had to let go 80, uh, six, six out of eight, seven out of eight of my employees. It got down to me and one other person. And that was devastating. But you know, the lessons we learned there is that we can survive just about anything even if I had to close the business, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. It wouldn't have been the end of my life. Um, and, you know, sometimes you learn how to operate lean and mean in those times too. And you come out, you come out of it swinging and you come out of it a lot stronger. It's amazing that all of these situations that you're describing, and I know that while you're talking about them, we're all in our own heads applying them to our lives. And it just goes back to everything that we think in our moment is the big deal or could be the end of the world doesn't have to be. It is all just perspective, right? It's all story in the end. It's the, it's the story in your head um, because, you know, different people can go through the same exact situation and they have a different story about it. They tell themselves something different about what's possible or what happened or why something happened and, and they have a different experience with it than you do. This happens with people who go through a divorce or it happens with people who lose a job. And some people lose a job and it's like, oh my God, I'm so relieved. It's the greatest thing ever. Somebody could lose the same job and they're like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Like, I, and I just want it back. And, you know, it's just all in the story that you tell yourself. So that's the one thing I learned a year ago is that I, I was telling myself a lot of disempowering stories about what had happened and, and why it had happened and what my part of it was. And, you know, I had to learn how to tell myself better stories. And uh, I was in counseling and uh, my counselor, I, I just remember every time I would go in, I'd say, here's, here's what's going on and here's what happened with this person and here's what's happening with this person now. And, and, and this is, you know, what I think it means. And he would look at me and say, or, yeah, and I'd be like, God dang it. You know, like (laughs) I'm telling myself a story that may or may not be true. And 99% of the time it wasn't 
true or wasn't entirely true. So I just tell myself a different story. Or it doesn't have to be true. Yeah. Or, or it could be both. A lot of times, like, you know, there's, you know, we, we desperately want one right answer for everything. And sometimes it really is, well, it, it could be that and that, you know, this person could be struggling with this over here and happy at the same time. It's like, and when you get to that point where you're like, oh, you know what? I can hold opposites in my hands and my head and my heart. Um, and, and it's all true. Like that's a different world, like different possibilities open up to you. A year ago, I was a black and white thinker. Like it was either this or that. And one of the things I learned through this process of going through this really tough relationship evolution that I've been through in the last year is that, you know what? Um, it's not black and white. Hardly anything is ever black and white anymore. I do believe there is right and wrong. I believe there's a few cases here and there where black and white makes sense. But for the rest of it, it's a, most of it's pretty gray. And you got to learn to operate in the gray area. Because if you're just a black and white person, if, if you have to have everything one way, all one way or all a different way, and it's either this or that, and there's no in between, then that's a really tough place to live. Uh, because there, you just, there's no ability to flex and compromise and, you know, and, and accept it all. You know, everybody's everybody has good and bad in them. Everybody has good qualities and bad qualities. And you got to be able to accept it all, especially about yourself. Well, I'll tell you uh, what's popping into my head right now is you're nailing my life as a father, raising two small children. It's not all black and white. There's good and bad. And, you know, I'll have my father looking at something that my daughter may be doing and saying, oh, you can't let her do that. And I'm like, can't I? Yeah. So, so fine. She's doing it. It's not the end of the world. It's fine. Right. Yeah. And you know, like your, your dad was raised in a different era under different circumstances and a different standard of, of everything. And so, yeah, so he's got his story about the way things ought to be. And, and unfortunately we adopt a lot of those, right? Whether they're right for us now or not, we adopt the stories that we grew up with or that we were taught either explicitly or by example. And, uh, you know, so life is, <laughs> life is a, an ongoing series of deprogramming events, right? Where you, you learn that it's not always the way that you thought it was. And then that darn ego gets in the way. If I was told by my father that my daughter can't do that, and I don't really feel that way, but now I have the ego involved. Oh, I got to prove myself as a father. Stop doing that. And that gets nowhere. Yeah. Every time you feel bad about yourself, it is. 100% your ego, 100%. Whether you, every time you feel like you've done something wrong or actually every time you're really super proud of yourself, that's your ego too. My, my counselor taught me this little trick. He said, picture your ego as a small child and tell that child to go sit in the corner and, and give it an ice cream cone to occupy it and then come back to the situation without your ego in the, your ego still in the same room because you can't necessarily ever get rid of your ego, but you can put them off to the side and then come back to the situation and say, okay, without my ego involved, what does this look like now? And then you're like, hey, my daughter's just, you know, she's playing in the sandbox, you know. She's a five-year-old. She's a five-year-old. She's doing what she's doing. And it has nothing to do with how good or bad I am as a father. And then you're like, okay, all right. I'd like to live more of my life that way where my ego is not like driving the show all the time. That's 
that's me. That's, that's what's helped me get a, a more positive outlook. I know you alluded to this. How are you spiritual or religious these days? I have a, you know, I grew up in a kind of a conservative Christian upbringing um, inside a church that was very, uh, very conservative and very, uh, you know, it's kind of like, don't drink, don't dance, don't smoke. It's kind of like Flashdance, the movie, or not yeah. Flashdance, uh, Footloose. Footloose. Yeah. But lose the movie. It's yeah. a little bit like that, even though I DJ dances in high school and stuff. So it was kind of, I was kind of that rebel in my church, I guess. Um, but I, I kind of have changed over the years and, and adopted a much broader sense. Like I, I still consider myself to be Christian and I still believe in everything that goes along with that. But I've learned how to think for myself too. I don't, I don't necessarily adopt everything that I was taught growing up. I've spent a lot of time uh, reading my Bible. I read my Bible almost every day. I read a, you know, a section and I've read through my Bible. It took me 50 years to read through my Bible the, for one time, right? And now I've read through it like I'm on my third or fourth reading through. And I just keep going through and I keep learning new things and I keep seeing different stories. And I'm like, wow, it makes me think different things about like what I was taught or what I, what I believe now and how it applies to my life now. Um, and I spend time in prayer. Um, you know, I, I pray for a lot of guidance. I pray for a lot of, uh, a lot of help in dis when I'm in distress. Um, and that's very helpful to, to, to believe for me that there's a bigger force at work here and there's somebody who can actually kind of take the wheel, um, when I don't feel like I can. Um, and, and then I spend time in meditation, which is, some people believe is another form of prayer. For me, it's a, it's a, it's a way to quiet all those stories. It's a way to just say, you know what, I just need to, I need to learn how to, to control my mind a little better. And I need to kind of shut off that constant stream of stimulation and story. So I, I, in my planner right here next to me, it, it says at the top, every week I write down the number one thing I want to do this week is I want to read, meditate and pray every day. Um, and I don't always do it. Um, and I miss all three of them many, many days. But that's part of my ritual that helps keep me grounded in that. And it's actually, you know, I feel like it's growing my faith and it's growing my belief. Um, and, I, and I don't try to push it on anybody. I, that's not my, I don't believe that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, I just believe that it, that's part of my journey as a traveler is I'm very curious and interested in that. And I want to see like what I believed growing up, does it apply or does it not? And, and as I think more and more for myself as a, as a grown up and as an adult, and as I dive more and more into that, you know, that work that other people have done in the past, you know, I just, I just feel like I keep learning and growing and expanding. Um, and what's weird is you would think by doing that, that the parameters would get tighter and tighter and tighter. And I feel like it's going the opposite direction. I feel like my horizons and my boundaries and everything are expanding, expanding, expanding. And this is going to sound really corny and really sort of like new agey and whatever. But in the end, I really do believe it's all about love. <laughs> um, everything, everything is all about love. It's love for yourself, love for your creator, love for the people around you. And like, and it's okay. Like, and it's all, it's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same plan. Then um, that's just the way that I believe. I can buy into that in a heartbeat, for real. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? 
I'm trying to figure that one out right now. You know, like uh, as a Christian, I believe in the concept of heaven and hell. Um, I believe that, you know, if you have salvation, according to Christian, then you get to move on to heaven. You know, you get that promotion kind of thing. But I don't really know what that means. Um, you know, like I, I'm, one of the things I'm trying to figure out on this read through my Bible is, what does that really look like? Like, what, what have we been told about that? Um, what have I been taught in, in Sunday school stories uh, that, you know, I'm finding that a lot of those Sunday school stories don't really come out of the Bible. They come out of somebody else's idea of somebody else's picture of what heaven or hell it might be like. Um, I don't know. And I think that's part of the grand mystery and the grand beauty of it is I, I have to believe there's something beyond this. Um, and there's something better than this. Um, and I kind of reserve judgment on what that is uh, until I get there because there's just no way to know. Uh, heaven could be like reincarnation for all I know. I, I just don't necessarily believe I have to worry so much about that. I just have to believe that like I've kind of been told what to do, how to live my life, how to be here on this earth right now. And that's my job. I eternal reward or damnation or whatever that's i don't know neither one of those things really motivate me what motivates me in that whole spiritual journey is seeing the effect that i can have right here right now uh, on the people around me and the people of, of this planet um i i don't you know i'm not out to solve world hunger or cure homelessness or anything like that um although i think those things are possible I just, I really believe that my job is to impact the people around me in the most positive way that I can. And to be a kind of person that's happy and fulfilled and satisfied in my life uh, so that it can spill over to, to other people. And, and I can spread I, whatever, that would be my message. Rather than me sit down and try to evangelize somebody, like if I'm going to convert or evangelize anybody, what I want to do is I want to live a life where they look at me and go, I want to know what you're, what you're drinking. I want to know what your secret sauce is. Uh, tell, me, tell me how you are the way that you are. That, to me, would be the idea. On that note, I will leave you with this final question. Mark Henson, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, since we've talked about it, I'd love to be remembered as a great dad. Um, I'd love to be remembered as somebody who loved his wife uh, to the very end. Um, I want to be married till the day I die. Uh, I want us to grow old together and be um, in love with each other until, until it's time for one of us to go. Um, those are the most important things to me. Um, and I want, you know, I'd love to be remembered as somebody who, no matter what, like he was the same person, no matter where you met him, whether he was on stage, whether he was one-on-one, -on -one, whether he was in church, whether he was in a bar, it doesn't matter. He was the same person. Um, and, and a good person and a person I really enjoyed being around who had really good energy. That's, that's how I'd love to be remembered. My goodness, I started this entire interview saying that I am already in love with this episode and it did not disappoint. It's one of my new favorite travel buddies, Mark Henson. Thank you for opening up, sharing, and spending your time with us today. Really extraordinary stuff. I thought we were going to talk about a book and here we talked about all this other serious stuff. So thank you. Actually, it's, it's been very refreshing to talk about some, some other, probably way more important stuff. I love that you said, I thought we were going to talk about a book, but in so many ways, <laughs> didn't we?
didn't we? Yes, absolutely. It's all good. It's all, it's all wonderful. Thank you again. Um, we're going to link to um, a few different things we spoke about, including that book, Click Right to Amazon, 47 five-star reviews. How? Uh, you know, I, obviously, I've got a network of people. And when I put the book out, I said, hey, I would love reviews, but I would love honest reviews. I'm not asking you for anything other than to go write a review. Because I've, I've received a lot of those in the past from people where they're like, hey, man, go out there and give me a five-star review. It really helps. It's like, no, go give me an honest review. If the book sucked, I want to, I want to know. I want other people to know. I am not trying to sell books. I'm trying to help people discover their superpowers. So if you can help me do that better by giving me honest feedback, then, then give me honest feedback. What an extraordinary dialogue. What an extraordinary person. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you for everybody who has tuned in to this. You know you're a superhero. If you found anything of value, do one thing. Take one small action. Put something into place that you know you can do to make a difference. Don't just keep it inside. Get it out. Be that superhero spandex and all. I love that analogy. <laughs> and we have another extraordinary show coming right behind this one. Until we do, have the greatest day. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.